Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That's Emily Van Buskirk. How are you, Emily? I am doing great. Still reeling from the Cincinnati Notre Dame game, trying to recover because that was a wild one. Well, yeah. And you were there with like Joey Chestnut just hanging out. So, (laughs) well, it was, it's complicated, but we were kicking off our college football all-star eating tour, but um, we have a lot of uh, kinks to iron out is what we learned. And it was Notre Dame was great. Everybody that we worked with was Mm -hmm. phenomenal from their SID to their athletic department. And we ended up being in the president's suite, which is incredible in that stadium. Yeah. It was like, I had never been on that side before in this, in the boxes. I'm always in the press box and it was really incredible. They had this like deck, outside and you could Mm -hmm. stand out there and watch. So we watched the fourth quarter out there, which was neat. And you could see the dome and touchdown Jesus to your left. So um, it was really, really cool, but it was a crazy game. I thought for a minute that Notre Dame was going to come back there in that fourth quarter. If Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it a lot more. They're not our first game on the list, though. They are probably the game we'll spend the most time on if I had to take a guess. I mean, I even wore my Notre Dame jersey just to be for it. (laughs) This is a green Jimmy Clausen, nice. which everyone can clearly see through the podcast. Oh my God, Jimmy yep. Clausen. Yep. Wow. I've had it a long, long time. <laughs> I love that. I love that uh, for you. <laughs> oh yeah. It's great. Uh, no, but that was a really great game. I think yeah. if Notre Dame started Drew Pine instead of Jack Cohn, they would have won because, but that is something we can dive into we will. a couple of teams. from. We'll now. start out. We'll start with at the top. Yeah, because we've we've got a few games to review that happened before since the Notre Dame kicked off, including on Friday night, Houston forty-five, Tulsa ten. Yeah. All right, that was um, <laughs> not what we expected. Although I, I did think be a he, close game. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think if you, a lot of people thought it was going to be closer, given that Houston not exactly a dominant team thus far, and definitely not on the road. Yeah, they haven't really played anyone too tough. The toughest game they yeah. had was Texas Tech coming into this, and they were fine for one half against Texas Tech and terrible for the other half. Right. But at the same time, most people don't think that highly of Texas Tech. Whether or not that's fair to Tech is another thing because they're four and one now, I think. Right. But again, it's just quality of competition, small sample sizes. We're getting close to halfway through the season, though, so is it still a small sample size? Not really anymore, at least as far as. <laughs> The whole sport is a small sample size though. You know, 130 teams should yeah. play 12 games. It's not, it's hard to do a full deep dive on that, but yeah. it's Houston at this point is the team I feel the weirdest about in the conference, I think, because really? I don't, yeah, I think so because I don't believe in them, but they're four and one. Right. And I think they're going to end up like nine and three on the year looking at their schedule. Cause it's not that tough schedule from here. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dana to me is a guy who should be on the hot seat, just given what Houston is as a program and where they should be and what he has done. And he's probably going to get off that with this year, but I don't know that that's earned. I know that this offense is capable. I don't think they're explosive. I know the defense is capable. I think they are chaotic for what it's worth, which is yeah. at times good, at times bad defensively. Uh, some individual players are excellent on Houston. I just don't know that I trust them yet. And I think that's my issue is I don't trust them. Tulsa, I've got yeah. no, at this point, I don't have any reservations about how I feel about Tulsa. They stink. I'm not picking <laughs> them again. You know? Ever? No matter what? Well, you know, not no matter what. I'm sure they're going to play like Temple, USF, Navy. Those games are going to be things. Games, those are going to be games to think about, you know, down the line. We'll see how yeah. the season goes. But no, Tulsa just... I think that to me is the bigger storyline than Houston looked great. I think Tulsa looked really bad. I think Philip Montgomery really needs to be on the hot seat because you can't exist once every four years being good and the other three years being terrible. 
That's yeah. kind of the cycle that pulses in with him. So I think they need to evaluate where he's at going forward, especially as the conference shifts underneath their feet. Yeah. Got anything else said? Because you picked this game correctly, so I messed up somewhere. I did. <laughs> that's why I'm mad at that. I just did, I did have I didn't have faith in either team really, but I had less faith in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just had this feeling that that Houston was finally going to put it together. I didn't think it was going to be that yeah. much. I mean, but I guess I gave Tulsa too much credit for being at home, but mm-hmm. you know, we, we said that this was going to be a game where we learn a lot about both teams. And yeah. I, think, I think we did. I think I learned that Tulsa is not ready to compete in the conference this year. You know what I mean? And I think that Houston's, yeah. you know, a lot more capable than I was giving them credit for, though. I still want to see them do it against a team that I respect, which again, not to be rude to the teams they've played, but Rice, Grambling, Tulsa, these are yeah. not teams that, you know, I have a ton of, you know, I, I, they're just not teams I think are that good. So I just want to see them do it against a team with a winning record now. Yeah. I was surprised that, well, not surprised, but I was glad to see um, the run game come out for Houston, you know, freshman Alton McCaskill, McCaskill. You'll nail it. Yeah. I want to call him cat skills. That's all I want to call (laughs) Alton cat skills over there. Yeah. I'm sure (laughs) he had a game. He he was very good. Yeah. (laughs) No, he was really fun to watch. And that's the thing is Houston should always have players like that who are young and capable of, you know, surprising you just for their natural athleticism. So it's good to see them have that come out and actually show because it doesn't always show, you know, I'm kind of bummed. He didn't get any of the honors. Uh, for the week. Really good off. Like, I mean, we'll get I to mean, the ECU yeah, but... game, but ECU had uh, the running back. Uh, what's his name? Uh, da, 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 da. Keaton Ma- Mitchell. He was in. He rushed for career high 222 yards and two touchdowns he in the win. But to carry. But McCaskill had three touchdowns, and he. But one guy. I mean, they're both freshmen, so. Mitchell Whatever. Why does the average per carry matter more than the scores? Because the points are more valuable. Well, what if you ran an eight, 80 yards, got tacked, you know, tripped up at the five yard line, had to come out because you just ran 80 yards and they give it to someone else. That's not, you know, you did most of the work there. And what if you get two big breakaway runs and that's why you're averaging so many yards? That's not impressive. That's just lucky and good blocking. Well, <laughs> agree maybe. to disagree here, yeah. but I think they should have at least thrown him in there. Like, hey, we'd also like to give honor roll mentions to this yeah. kid because oh, he, he probably earned an honor roll mention, but there's a lot of really good not. offensive. I said he probably earned one, not that he uh, got one. Oh, you're saying that he, he earned probably it in our it. minds. Yeah. Yes. We should come up with our own our yeah. own honors, is what we should do. Yeah. Start doing them on Sundays or whatever. Yeah. And then we can, you know we may not always agree with the, who the AAC is going to pick. Yeah. So he gets my, he gets my offensive player of the week. So move full player of the week, not just full player of the week, full (laughs) player of the week. All right. But yeah, no, uh, Houston dominated this game. I think that talking about the X's and O's, so what happened on the field aren't really fair to it. They were just bigger, faster, stronger. Most of that game. It was just Tulsa rolled over. Uh, Our second game was, I think, shocking to me. Uh, Memphis 31, Temple 34. Uh, this is two weeks in a row now where Memphis has blown three Oof. score leads. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, I thought the Memphis offense was fine. They were not great. They had their mm-hmm. moments where they were great, but they were not consistently great throughout that game. Uh, but 31 points is usually going to be enough to beat a team like Temple, or at least you hope it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Temple also was just, good on offense though which is something we haven't seen from them at least against a higher level competition team yet this year and it's a thing i don't think many people were expecting to see from temple much at all this year uh you know, i knew they were going to put it together eventually i wasn't sure it was going to be this I season i don't i don't i was not expecting it to be Memphis. <laughs> but dewan mathis uh had a game 35 of 49 for 322 mm-hmm. yards three touchdowns it was so very he good. gets honor roll honors from the American. He tied a 53 year old school single game record with 35 completions. Did you see that touchdown pass he threw to, I think it was Jaden blue who like stuck it with one hand, like twisting. Off. I did, there was a, a collage of one handed catches from this weekend alone yeah. for college football. Mm-hmm. And that was one that made it. And I, I remember seeing the highlight and being like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, that was okay, a great, Temple. that was a great catch. Uh, Ahmad Anderson had 36 yards per catch for temple. 
So like mm-hmm. they were good. I mean, Memphis did a better job spreading the ball around. The running game still wasn't what it used to be a couple years back when Memphis was really great. I think right. if they want to get back to that Memphis team that like can win just by playing offense, they need to get the running game back to where it was. Good is fine, but they they were great at one point. Uh, my bigger concern for Memphis is really that they are blowing big leads to teams that I mean UTSA is very good. You know, Temple though is not at the top of the conference. You should beat Temple. You know, there's no reason mm-hmm. why they should have come back on you. Uh, I think part of it is their the Memphis offense goes so fast that when it doesn't quite click on a drive, your defense is tired. That's Yes, though, but that's a guess. That's not like, you know, I watched the game and I was just going to myself, like, I don't quite know what's wrong with Memphis in this game that Temple's staying around because I don't think that Temple can match them talent wise. So I don't think they should have. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple fumbles also didn't help. That's, you know, short fields and loss of possessions. That's always going to help the other team to lose the turnover battle like that. I liked how aggressive Temple was going for it pretty consistently on fourth down. That, you know, I think is a thing you need to do in games when the other teams are going to score 30 plus points on you. Uh, but I also think it might be time for us to reevaluate both these teams a little bit. Is Temple improving or a little bit better than we were giving them credit for? Is Memphis a little bit worse than we were giving them credit for? Because if you go through Memphis's win so far in the season, you know, it's an FCS game. It is, who did they beat? Arkansas State, who is bad at this point. I think we can agree they're bad. <laughs> and they only beat them by five. You, let them, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, but at this point, like not to be mean to Arkansas State, but they're one and four with a loss to Tulsa, you know, just throwing out there. And their only wins an FCS game. You know, then the Mississippi yeah. State game, tons of fun. Definitely an SEC win. Kind of fluky when you got a couple calls go your way. Right. So I'm not sold on Memphis. I'm more sold on Temple than I was, though. Our next game is, though, Cincinnati 24, Notre Dame 13. And I'm going to let you start because you were actually at the game, like we mentioned at the top. So I want you to go first. Well, and I will say this, like in most games that I cover, like when we go to Iowa, Penn State this weekend or any of the other ones we've done, I will be paying very close attention to each drive and have these all charted out. Saturday was a bit of a shit show. Okay. So we drove from Indianapolis where Joey Chestnut lives and we thought, you know, we have plenty of time. We're going to leave. We, it took a lot longer than we thought. And so we got to the tailgate kind of late. Mm -hmm. Um, We got in the stadium kind of later than usual. So from the get, it was kind of playing catch up all day, Yeah, which, you know, weirdly is how Notre Dame was. So um, I I feel, I feel them on that level, but (laughs) uh, the environment was incredible. I mean, the tailgating, even though it was raining during actually a part, a big part of the pregame, um, the Notre Dame fans always great, you know, out in full force, a lot of Cincinnati, about a third of the stadium over there was a good red, you know, wave over there. I wrote about a bunch complaining that Notre Dame fans need to stop selling their tickets to visitors. Uh, So I talked to, I talked to the, you know, I was with a lot of the athletic um, staff and I was actually in the box you know, the president's box. And it was crazy. Uh, Tim Brown was in there. Um, a couple other former Notre Dame players and, um, the baseball coach mm-hmm. who I can't remember his name right now, but he's awesome. So that I was, was chatting. yeah, really great guy. And he, mm-hmm. he had some great stories and he loved Joey. He tried all of Joey's sauces <laughs> and then actually left with all bottles of the sauce because he loved them so much. So, um, shout out to him, but, um, they were saying that Cincinnati used all their allotted tickets and then, and more. So they not only gave them their normal allotment, they ended up giving them more because they had requested. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's Notre Dame's fans fault. Notre Dame. Go back and look at the crowds when Georgia came to town in 2017, or even back to like uh, Nebraska in 2000. Uh, this sometimes happens for big games where Notre Dame fans, for whatever reason, are okay selling their tickets off a little bit more than they, okay. I think, should. I, normally. I, yeah, it, it's on my Twitter if anyone else is interested. I kind of compared the photos of like the crowd at Cincinnati and those other two games I just mentioned. Maybe it's the color red that just shows up a little bit more. But it, it and does that's what happen. people were saying because it was like Christmas colors, like with the red and the yeah. green. So... Yeah, no, and it definitely wasn't as bad as like the Georgia game was because that was right. basically a Georgia home game in South Bend. But it does happen like that, and it, you know, you know, it just happens. Like I know a lot of Notre Dame fans will say, like, "Oh, well, it's such a special game for them, and it's just another game for us." But like, 
It was a special I, game for them. But like, I know. I but know I'll is, say but this: look, time, I don't want it to be Notre Dame fans. Just like, just another game. It was a top ten matchup. You should want to be at that. A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, I'll say this about: I, like, I I was watching the game not with the discerning eye that I normally have as like a writer. You mm-hmm. know, because I was taking more of environmental factors and mm-hmm. and dealing with Joey, but. um, Kim was shooting the game on the field. So she was mm-hmm. down in the action. And one of the things that we both agreed on is Notre Dame, while they made a lot of mistakes, when they were starting to get back in it, they have a different attitude. This is my problem with Cincinnati. I kind of believe in them now a little bit more than usual. Desmond Ritter is the truth. I will say that. Like, Oh, he Notre Dame fans. He, he's incredible. On, yeah. He's on Notre Dame fans shit list in a big way right now. Because of, of how good he is. No comments he made after the oh. game in his press conference. He, okay, so this uh, I'll this tell, spe- talk about that in a second. This yeah. may speak to what I'm about to say, but I didn't see the press conference. But um, during the game, Cincinnati, when they would do anything good, get a first down, basic things that mm-hmm. football players get, they would just make a huge show out of it. I mean, yeah. like so arrogant and so cocky mm-hmm. after every single play that you almost wanted to root against them because you're like, who are you that you're doing these things? But, like, yeah, they were jazzed up to an extreme amount for yes. that game. They were, they it was were, like too much well it is a huge game for them that's like, like the biggest like regular season been game. There, though like win but, with some but in all fairness they've never been there that's the in all it was clearly the biggest it was very regular obvious season win. <laughs> like, this is something we should mention here that that was by far the biggest regular season win in of Cincinnati course. football history not of recent course. history all of it but they're great. ranked in the top 10 so act like you belong but, yeah, there but don't act like game, a freaking top 10 matchup puts them in a good position going forward for the rest of the year. It's, it was huge for them. Uh, the comments yes. that Ritter made after the game was basically that when he got in there, he was like, Oh, all right, this isn't a tough place to play. This is easy. He said that UCF in 2018, the day game day went there was by far the toughest he's ever played in and made that the bounce house that game made Notre Dame stadium look like, you know, like basically like a home game. You know, it was, he did not, he, he came after Notre Dame fans for being, you know, sitting on their hands and being passive compared to, uh, Interesting. compared to other environments he's played in and specifically UCF as an environment. So, uh, so mixed emotions for some of us, <laughs> it was, it um, was but Notre Dame fans like... were not happy with that comment that he made. Uh, I was not happy with their behavior, to be honest with you. Like, you know, I, I get that it's exciting for you, but every single first down you have to get up and, and point like, come on yeah. now you, they yeah. were winning most of the game. Like that should be enough. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the game itself, Notre Dame played three quarterbacks in this game, which is a recipe to lose. <laughs> it just is. It's uh, gotta be some sort of record for a top 10 matchup, especially when none of the quarterbacks came out due to injury. They were just figuring it out as they went along. They were just trying to, yeah. Um, I mean, for those yeah. who, don't know the Notre Dame quarterback situation right now. They brought in Jack Cohn as a graduate transfer from Wisconsin, He's supposed to bridge the gap between uh, Ian Book last three years and then Tyler Buckner next year is the expectation that Tyler Buckner is a stud prospect from California. Right. A lot of fans like want, want Buckner to play. He's athletic. He can run a little bit. He didn't play his senior year of high school because of COVID and everything out in California. Oh, okay. uh, so I don't think he should be on the field at all. I think he just needs time to develop and adjust to the speed of it. Uh, then Drew Pine, who was the backup last year, did something in the offseason no one expected. He pushed for the starting job in a way that no one saw coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week against Wisconsin, uh, Cohn was struggling, frankly. Then he got hurt because he was taking – Cohn is taking like five sacks a game when he's out there because he's not super aware of himself in the pocket, it seems, and his athleticism right. isn't there. Pine came in, and Pine kind of set the offense on fire towards the end of the game. It, you know, It got going. It looked better under him. A lot of fans want Pine to start this game. He didn't. Cone, according to Kelly, earned it. Uh, they played Buckner a couple of drives. It didn't. That first half did not work for Notre Dame going between Cone and uh, Buckner. You know, Cone threw an interception in the end zone on a ball he should never have thrown because he wasn't. Right. He was just trying to force something. He was trying not to take a sack. And he threw it up for grabs. Uh, Gardner intercepted that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Buckner, being a freshman, gotten hit in the chest and threw a bad ball. That guy intercepted and returned inside the 10 yard line. That's up since I first points. Uh, Are you the, really going to go through every mistake they made? Yeah, I am. Was then that was immediately <laughs> followed by the Chris Tyree fumble <laughs> on the, uh, hear, hear me I out. Love it. That was followed immediately. Uh, okay. 
Chris Tyree fumbling the kick return. Last week, he's the hero and returns one for a touchdown against Wisconsin. Fumbles against Cincinnati. Sets up another. That's 10 points right there. And really, the defense shouldn't be blamed for any of those 10 points on Notre Dame's side of it. Okay. Uh, That's fair. From there on, Cone was just mediocre for the rest of the half. If you watch the NBC broadcast at all, you'll know that Drew Brees was talking about how basically they need to bench Cone, and that's what happened. Pine got the second half. Notre Dame's offense was much more effective the second half. Uh, You know, since they really only had two drives that whole game where they scored on the Irish defense properly, you know, going downfield and driving on them. Uh, So I thought it was exactly what I expected to be a really great defensive game where Cincinnati beat the Notre Dame offensive line enough to keep them from winning. That's what I thought it would be last week. Alec Pierce for Cincinnati also deserves a lot of credit because he had a really great game in the uh, downfield passing. Michael Mayer for Notre Dame. Cincinnati could not cover Michael Mayer. I knew that was going to happen. It was a shame. It looked like he had a hamstring injury towards the end that slowed him down. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, and then I think the only thing to ask is, is Cincinnati to the college football playoff realistic, or is that just a thing that we're going to talk about and, you know, and forget about as a group? I said on Memphis radio this morning that it's like this, this win is okay. It's fun. It's great for Cincinnati. And it's like, historic and whatever but it's to me it feels a lot like the stanford win over oregon like for what you're not gonna go to the playoff you know what i mean <laughs> notre dame had a no i mean i and i'm not saying it to be mean it's just it's reality that i don't think the committee is going to take a group of, group of five yet they're just not there if they're not approving a 12 format they're definitely not taking a group of five that's just no the you're right they're definitely not but notre dame had a real shot you know, if they win that Notre Dame was going to lose a game eventually. The, that offensive Maybe. line is just not good enough to – they're going to get caught by someone. Uh, but they my, at least – what I'm saying is like like for Oregon, for example, Oregon had a real freaking shot of representing the Pac-12. Not think with Oregon. a one loss. Not with a one loss. Well, and if they're going to lose this game, I don't know. Anyways, that it just felt to me it was like, okay, Cincinnati, you're winning this game for what and for why? And is this good for college football? <laughs> I think it is to okay. have that kind of balance between the powers that be in like the G five. I also think that the, there's going to be two sec teams in the playoffs. So, yeah, you know, the, the first playoff rankings are not too far from now. And, you know, a couple weeks at the most, uh, since going to be high, probably top six mm-hmm. and watch them not lose, but slowly slide back as we go. Well, they only played temple this week. It's really hard <laughs> to judge them based on that. And, you know, you go, well, who did Alabama play? Well, they played Mississippi State. You're like, but they're not that good either, you know? Yeah. And, you know, they, but they're still going to slowly slide as teams just, you know, quote unquote, have better wins. And they really, until they play SMU at the end of the year, won't have another chance to have one of those statement wins. And even then, beating SMU doesn't count as the same statement for the committee right. as, beating, as beating Ole Miss does for Alabama this past weekend, even though they stomped Ole Miss, you know? Right. Uh, so, no, I, I don't think the playoff is realistic. Though you are in the driver's seat for the New Year's Six, you're in the driver's seat for the conference. Yeah. You know, chance to be a really great year. And you know, when Cincinnati goes unbeaten and wins the, you know, whatever the Cotton Bowl or whatever it will be this year, Fiesta Bowl, declare that natty. Yeah. Take that natty just like UCF did. Nothing to stop you. No mm-hmm. harm in it. Uh, but yeah, I Cincinnati was the better team than Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame. Yeah. If Notre Dame was the better team, they wouldn't have quarterback issues. They wouldn't have love tackle issues. Right. So Cincinnati deserved the win. Uh, our next game, Tulane 29, ECU 52. Uh, you pick Tulane. Why? <laughs> I will always pick Tulane. <laughs> that yeah. is, that's like my one. It's going to be a problem, especially because I, it's Michael Pratt. I can't, I, I am sorry. Yeah, I can't. I love the kid as a person. I thought last year he was great, but I gave him that freshman, you know, he was a freshman. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. It has not gotten better. It has gotten way worse. And at this point, I think if you're Fritz, like you have to think about that, that you have other parts of your offense that are working, but if you can't have a quarterback, you he's not working. It's got to be something else. I'm not quite there with Pratt, but he, the turnovers are a major issue and they are not. It has been nonstop. Point. It's been at every the, single yeah. game. At this point, they're not going away. Uh, you know, no. uh, and that, that is a huge problem for them, you know, 
as far as ECU goes, though, they've found that consistency on offense that they didn't have the first couple weeks, especially with Ellers. Right. Now, Ellers right. was not outstanding in this game, but he was solid and reliable, and he didn't make those turnovers. You know, he didn't right. do those, like, you know, I talked about the South Carolina game and his performance in that a lot because it really bothered me because I thought they were they were better than South Carolina and they should have won that game, except Ehlers made a, but you know, he had a couple bad penalties yeah. in the quarterback position. He like was bouncing check downs. He was, he just didn't look comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he looks worlds better now. And this is the issue. I just want a full, he's a senior now, so we're not going to get it, but I just wanted a full right. season of consistent Ehlers to see how good ECU could have been because I do think this team around him is so much better than, you know, they're showing that growth and maturity that we haven't seen there since, you know, Ruffin McNeil was the head coach. And that's awesome for ECU because their fan base deserves it. And again, the conference is changing now. Who's going to step up and replace the teams leaving as kind of that t- upper echelon. Why not ECU? Right. You know I mean? I know SMU are still going to be around, but like who's going to replace UCF and Cincinnati and Houston as like the teams you look to. I think ECU right. really has a good shot to do it. They just need to, you know, re figure out how they recruit again, because I, you know, teams like Charlotte, App State, Old Dominion moving to FBS hurt them in recruiting because they lost a lot of that were the FBS team in the area for kids. And they right. need to, you know, they needed to uh, take the time to let Mike Houston develop this team because they were so far down when he got there that you couldn't expect, yeah. a, you couldn't expect a, you know, two year turnaround miracle. It is going to take a while to get completely back to where you want to be, but I think they're on the right path. They are. And Houston is the guy for that job. He's like the program whisperer yeah. everywhere he's been. Yeah. So the one hope is that he doesn't, you know, go seven five this year or seven five this and year. Leave. And leave. He told me he's not to... gonna he's not gonna leave. He told me. I that. know that I know that, but he, he has told been to, me. I know that he's been to a few schools already. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, you know, Mac Brown retires and North Carolina comes calling and that's No, you know, he's not gonna do it. look, but you you I know I <laughs> I don't think he's gone in a year or two anyways. I'm saying that's the concern that really all AAC schools always have when they've got a up and coming coach is that they're going to lose them. You know what I mean? Right. You know, like right. it'll be the concern at USF. If Jeff Scott gets them going the same way it was with Willie Taggart, once he got them going or, you know, UCF yeah. the past couple of coaches, Memphis, their past couple of coaches, you know, Houston, you know, Tom Herman, you know, Temple, the last like five coaches have all left for bigger jobs. Yeah. It's, it's a concern. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, it yeah. happens a lot in this conference. Uh, we mentioned him briefly earlier, Keaton Mitchell, 15 carries for 222 and two scores. That's a great day for mm-hmm. a freshman running back. If, yes, well, it that's, is. That's another way to help Holton Aylers out is to develop a running game that they have not had in recent memory. Uh, yes. I also, I love watching Tyler Sneed play wide receiver. Really great time. Uh <laughs> Tulane, I expected more out of their defense this year, though. They're pretty consistently getting beaten up on defense, which I didn't see coming. I knew they had some guys gone, but I thought they'd be an average defense in this conference. They look below average. uh, Tulane wants to make a bowl game. They're one and four now, and it's desperation time for that. Yeah. ECU at a three and two, pretty good spot to make a bowl, though. Pretty good sitting pretty, yeah. Yeah. I Uh, like it. I'm East. still going to probably pick Tulane. Actually, next are, week, I, I forget two, who they play. No, I know. They're Thursday night. Houston. Oh, yeah, it's Thursday night game. Yeah, that's it's right. Like, okay. Do you remember? T- this is a preview of the preview episode, but it's, do you remember yeah. two years ago when uh, Houston went into Tulane and Tulane? Yeah, I was there. Yep. I was it's, at that game. It's like a Thursday night. It matches up exactly. It's at Tulane. I'm excited for it, even though I think that. You know, what's funny is I was going to go this week because it's tradition for me to be at that game. That was the first ever Tulane game that I covered. And it was like this, you know, big upset. And there was this, oh my God, I'll never forget Jalen McCluskey with the catch Mm -hmm. from Justin McMillan, McCluskey and McMillan. I was like, they should... Yeah, they yeah. were in the annexation of Puerto Rico play. Oh my God. I that was when I was like, Willie Fritz is the man. He dialed up this play. It was epic. Um oh. yeah, yeah no. that's that's when my like love affair with Tulane started. I was like, mm-hmm. this is the program. I love it. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people did back to you know around then when Tulane's because they were wearing the baby blues in that game too. Yes, the baby blues. You know, so I'm telling you, that'll be a fun game, but I yeah. don't trust Tulane right now, especially on defense. And it's like you mentioned with Pratt's turnovers. Yeah, um, it's frustrating. They did, in all fairness to Tulane, they did threaten a comeback in the third quarter, but, you know, it got put down. Yeah. Uh, UCF 30, Navy 34. 
How are you feeling <laughs> about that? No excuses, but quarterback, running back, top wide receiver, all out with injuries, you know, mismatched defense with injuries. No excuses, mm-hmm. but the real reason there's two, I'm going to say there's two reasons UCF lost this game. The first is special teams. Okay. Uh, an extra point got blocked, a punt got blocked and returned for a touchdown right before the half. That's eight point swing right there. How many did you right. lose? Oh, you lost by four. Probably, <laughs> oh. Probably could have yeah. used those eight points. Probably could have just used the extra points so that when they got down to the 15 yard line or so they could have kicked a field goal to tie it instead of having to throw into the end zone and, you know, ending the game on that. Uh, that's before you consider a shanked punt that gave Navy a short field late in the fourth quarter to take the lead on because, you know, yeah. nothing like that special teams, that's going to drive Gus absolutely insane. Um, yeah. It's also very clear. He does not trust his special teams. Like before the half, they had a chance to kick their first field goal of the year in game. Let me count them down four. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that would be the first field goal of the year. And he faked a kick and then got down. And it was basically the only reason he took a kick was because there's one second left on the clock. He did not want to kick the ball. He does not want to kick the ball. He doesn't trust Obarski. He doesn't trust the special teams unit that he inherited from Josh Heupel. And that is an issue. Heupel left nothing for special teams. He ignored it. He didn't coach it well. It's a whole mm-hmm. unit that needs to be completely fixed, and it's not fixed yet very clearly. Uh, yeah. The other reason UCF lost this game, and again, it's not the injuries. It's because Navy found a quarterback who can get the, uh, Ty Lavate. He can get mm-hmm. the ball to the edge in that triple option, and they got the edge pretty consistently in that triple option, and UCF simply couldn't consistently stop it. They forced a couple turnovers, but they only forced one punt all day. Uh, let me tell you something. Navy ran 80 plays, 80 triple option plays. I think technically wow. 78 triple option plays because they threw twice. That exhausted the UCF. I was going to say, was that exhausting to watch? It was. It was <laughs> especially by the fourth That's quarter when – by the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. the UCF defense was just so clearly out of gas and wasn't going to stop them again. Uh, 39 and a half minutes worth of time of possession for Navy. Wow. I'm not a big time of possession guy, but that does something. It to does it. matter sometimes. Like it exhausts, in certain, it yeah. exhausts the defense if it's that lopsided. Yeah. And that was all very clear. And you know what? In all of this, UCF still could have won the game if your graduate transfer senior wide receiver doesn't fumble the ball at midfield in the fourth quarter. Mm. He still could have run out the clock. Uh, Mikey Keene replaced Stillen Gabriel at quarterback. What would you think? Uh, he was solid, especially considering okay. he's a freshman in his first game. The interception on his ledger was the last play of the game, him throwing into the end zone trying to make something happen. I don't blame him for that. I thought Gus's first half strategy with him was very good. It was a you know creative running scheme, especially considering the injuries to the running back room, uh, you know, keeping the passes fairly simple and not too difficult, but I thought he looked good, obviously room to grow, but I think you can see the potential in him. Uh, okay. I am also going to say this because I just talked a lot about why UCF lost the game. Navy also went out there and won the game. You know, they forced yeah. the turnover. They went down and scored when they needed to came back from like 13, 17 down and won that game. Navy gets it was the really the, the, Navy gets all the, the recovered block pump that, that, right before the half that sucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the blocked yeah, but, punt in the end. No, but the Navy went I feel like there. if there's one play that sums up that game, it has to be. It, it was really, really bad. And right before the half too, like complete momentum. Yeah. Everything Talk about just bad. deflating. Yeah. It, it, it was terrible, but um. Yeah. No, but Navy went out there and won the game. I feel mm-hmm. I'm really happy for them, especially like Mia Matalolo, who's been under a lot of fire for how they've been playing. Yeah. I don't know if you did you get a chance to see the broadcast? I did not, no. Okay. So the Navy fan, like not I shouldn't say fans, like the brigade and like the freshman players were going crazy. You had a bunch of the freshmen uh, who were wearing the blue shirts that just say Navy across them. And they kept mm-hmm. cutting to them in the UCF's last drive to try to type as they're you know going crazy, like basically need to be held back in the field. And at one point, a bunch of them take off their shirts and start dancing around <laughs> and Ken goes over to them and it's like 20 seconds left in the game with a timeout. And the commentator, I don't know who it was off. It's one of the CBS sports guys goes, Oh, there's Ken going to tell them, put their shirts back on. And then you see me Lolo show them how to wave them like towels. And it's like, no, he's Stop. not. You know, he w- then they cut That's the swagger they need. You know, they like, cut to the UCF sideline. They're discussing something in the timeout. They cut back in the brigade, like all the you know Naval Academy students are like forcing their way onto the sidelines, onto the field, like wow. you know pushing right at the edge. 
they cut back to Ken. And at this point he was on all fours on the ground, staring at the ground. He didn't even want to look at the play. It was, I felt very happy for Navy at the same time. Feeling yeah. That's kind of crappy for my team, you know? Yeah. But we, he needed it so bad. So he it's did. like when, when you see a team with their, their heads down, their backs just on the wall, like seeing them come out swinging mm-hmm. like that and like fight to win a game. That's, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, and again, it just, it clearly it. mattered so much to them that I was like, you don't mind losing to Navy. No. You know what I mean? Like it sucks because it's a conference loss. It sucks because it makes next week against ECU a must when I'm not super confident after the way ECU looked up, you know, against Tulane, yeah. you know, but you know, it was, I think it was it's, a very, it was a very, it's feel good. It was feel good. Yeah. It was a very good game. UCF has some things to work on still. I think there's still a ton yeah. of talent. I think they're still one of the best teams in the conference, but they're not, you know, injuries and bad special teams will destroy a season. And that's what could very well be happening to them. You know, uh, yeah. one more, anything else to add to that? No, I just, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how they build on it. Mm-hmm. Going absolutely. forward. Yeah, absolutely. Last game of the week, USF 17, SMU 41. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, USF hung around a little bit longer than I think that score indicates. Again, Timmy McLean was fine. He wasn't outstanding, but he like, again, he's a freshman. He's showing that he's got something to build off of. I really like Jimmy Horn, the wide receiver at USF. I think he's doing a very good job filling that gap of talented wide receivers that they really haven't had in the past couple of years there. Uh, you know, good to see USF fight for the whole game. SMU was just very clearly the better team overall and way too explosive for them to handle over the course of yeah. 60 minutes. You know, I don't think and SMU is that guy. And now you have this team that's so fun to watch offensively mm-hmm. um, and they're sitting at five and zero. Oh, and mm-hmm. somebody asked me today, like, mm-hmm. do I think they could go undefeated? Uh, not the way the American. Yeah. They, they have to play Cincinnati and then probably again, this is projecting, yeah. but probably twice play Cincinnati in regular season and conference championship. Interesting. That That's projecting, obviously, you know, you're yeah. not, that's a little bit of a guess, but they're clearly the top two teams, at least in terms of where the, where they're at now, you know, SMU just got offensively. Ranked. Yes. I don't know. SMU's defense. That's I'm been their issue. Not, for, that's been their yeah. issue for years now. You know, I'm they've had 100%. that off. No, I'm not sold either. I'm, not Tanner Mordecai needs to clean up the turnover still, you know? Yes. He's, that is like a thing in this conference is, is quarterback turnover. Yeah, there's a few gunslingers. Got a few yeah. gunslingers out there. Uh, be a little more careful. You don't want to, you, know, you know, shoot yourself in the leg. Well, yeah, you know, it happens, but <laughs> it, has happened. it happens. Uh, but yeah, no, I think SMU, if you project their season down the line is mm-hmm. probably the second best team in the conference. And you'd expect the conference championship game to be them in Cincinnati. Right. That's I'm not going, and that's not out of line to project at this point. I don't know. I think I'm going to, you know, I, I mean, know. what happens when they play, UCF? I'm going to go for is a crazy Gabriel dark horse. Health? Is Dylan Gabriel healthy when they play UCF? Because that could completely change that game. You know what I mean? We don't know that. You know. Maybe, but do you think he comes back? Like, this is my thing with guys that come back from those kinds of injuries. It's tough. It'll be interesting. It's his throwing shoulder. It's no surgery required. <laughs> it's no surgery and there's no time. But to it takes so we don't one know. big hit, you know? Yeah, like exactly. We don't know what, you know. We don't. We don't know he's even coming back this season. That's something I should also say. Yeah. It, you know, fair. there was no timetable given. I'm basing that on the fact it's described as a fractured collarbone with no surgery required. Mm-hmm. Generally, that's like six to eight weeks in an adult. But I'm not a doctor. I've not examined him. No one's given updates about how long it'll take. I'm not. Yeah. It's not fair to project. So you're right. I shouldn't yeah. do that. But if he is, no, back, but- I think he's capable of making that a game, you know, on his good days. His, you know, his veteran but we don't know nature. that he'll be a good day if you're right if he's back right. from an injury that soon so. his his ability could suffer from this but his but his presence and his like veteran play yeah. that adds a layer to it'll, ucf and confidence it'll you know? also help ucf when they get isaiah bowser back to get that kind of mm-hmm. hard runner i really like johnny richardson i know we're supposed to be talking about usf smu right now okay. but, but i mean there wasn't we're there distracted. wasn't a whole ton to say other than SMU that was, that was dominating performance. Yeah. yeah. That was the easy game. USF showed a little fight, you know, putting up. Cool. I like that. I know. I like that they keep doing that where they're not rolling over. They're like continuing to at least put up points and mm-hmm. not get shut out, you know? That, so, that's important because it looked like yeah. after the NC State game week one that, oh no, USF is just going to sleepwalk. Right. You know, so again, 
projecting out, I project SMU is probably the second team in the conference championship game. You got to project the USF is going to show improvement over the course of this year, because they're mm-hmm. at least fighting. I think there is a little bit of growth going on there. I just don't know that the wins are going to follow this season. You know, I think you're looking at probably yeah. next season if you're a USF fan before you see more tangible results, you know? Yeah. I, and my thing about SMU is now you've got this monkey on your back of undefeated nature. And every, every week it's like, this is the first time they've yeah. been five and oh, this is now six. And then you have to worry about but that. If you're SMU and you got to have faith that you can win every game, you got to, you, your goal as SMU is obviously to win the conference. You have to beat Cincinnati to do that. You know, they, they've right, got all these like monkeys all their goals. On. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. So they've got this uh, monkey on their back of, winning a big game they've got a lot of things that they have to prove that they can do before mm-hmm. i think a lot of people will be like yep smu's arrived it's just an extra thing every week where you're like oh my god we don't want to blow our undefeated streak mm-hmm. i don't know how much that weighs in or doesn't like it, it's different every player every coach yeah but it's there it's not like they don't know hey we're it, undefeated and the same time some guys can use that as like hey i'm undefeated what are you you know what i mean right and right they can use it as motivation that's right. confidence it's so yeah, I'm really excited for SMU at Houston in week nine. No, that'll be a good game. Right. I'm, by that. I'm very intrigued now by that. Because I again, wasn't again. I'm, I feel weird about Houston. I'm not sure how to, yeah. I'm supposed to feel about them. I think I had them at like number three in the power rankings. I do this week, which felt gross putting them that high. <laughs> I didn't feel comfortable. Like you with need that a shower all. maybe. You know, just like, I don't believe that. Why did I put them there? But you know, like at some point you are what your record says you are and you have to trust that four and one is four and one. Yeah. Uh, man. Yeah. The American, did we ever think it was going to be yeah. easy? It's Cincinnati, it's SMU, and then it's a kind of a pretty steep drop off this year. I am like pushing for ECU to make a dark horse like, race here I'd because like, how crazy would that be? I, I'd love it. They get a sh- regular fun. season shot at, uh, at Cincinnati this year. Yep. Yeah. Where is that game? Do, like where, where would they, do they? I, I think that's in Greenville. I'm not certain though. East Carolina, because they have a pretty, and it's so funny. We keep talking, or we did talk a lot about like home team advantage in this conference, but that's really turning out to not be as much of a thing as we thought, or at least I thought. Well, we'll talk about more in the preview, but I think that when UCF and ECU play next week, I think the fact that at the bounce house is a huge, huge deal for UCF because they've their two losses are on the road and they have in the past years not been good on the road. And again, it's a new coach now and things are going to change yeah. with that over time, I think for Gus. But one of the issues that Josh Heupel left was a team that did not travel well. And, you know, I don't think Gus has corrected that at this point. You know what I mean? I think that yeah. that issue still there. There's a lack of focus on the road for UCF sometimes. Uh, Cincinnati plays at, home, at though, ECU yeah. week 13. That's so far away. Uh, on October 23rd, ECU so at Houston. at Houston. That'll be fun. Yeah. And after that, that South Florida, Temple, Memphis, Navy for ECU. So if ECU gets through these next two games, they could very well be. In a, they could push. They could be a very, very, they could have a shockingly good record by the time they get to Cincinnati. I, think I need there. to check in with Coach Houston again. Maybe I'll wait till yeah. after, well, he, see how they do this weekend. Or, you know, you got to go now because you know he's on a three game winning streak right now. He's going to be happy. I know, <laughs> but this Saturday is a big week. It's anxious. a big week for them. I, I hate talking to them before they have these well, big games. After so. the UCF game, it looks like they've got a bye week. So, yeah. So maybe I'll we'll catch up with him then and see what how he feels so far about his time mm-hmm. in Greenville. I'm sure he'll be very happy with where they're at right now. It's got to yeah. be right. Yes, I think so. Definitely. Uh, a what a bit, fun week five. Yeah. In uh, a little bit of housekeeping, we talked uh, last week about Colorado State and Air Force likely joining the American, according to plenty of reports by this week. And then they said, no, thank you. They are not interested in joining the American. It looks like there's few different reasons for it uh essentially a lack of stability is a major major player in that where they don't know what the americans media deal is going to actually look like now and they want a better idea of that which is understandable they also the cost of traveling from way out west to all the way to like philadelphia and tampa and all those places it's just probably too much financially unless they know they're getting a significant bump and everything uh Air Force is athletic director today said some things about the Mountain West that were not super, uh, not super polite to be frank about what really, uh, yeah, I don't have it in front of me right now, but he basically called them out for, you know, not being well run as a conference. 
Interesting. Uh, so I don't think that they shots want, fired. They don't want to be in the Mountain West. I think the reason Air Force didn't leave the Mountain West was Colorado State wasn't super comfortable leaving. But mm-hmm. from what I can tell, is it was between like these board of trustees. There's divides on whether or not to leave the conference or not. Interesting. Uh, for the American though, that puts them in a tough spot because Plan A did not go over. Plan B has to, in my opinion be to target strong media markets in the Southeast United States. So you need to regionalize to make the travel reasonable and try to bring in good media markets. UAB, I think, is pretty much a virtual lock. I think Charlotte's in a very good position. Uh, a lot of people- I like Charlotte. I like Will Healy a lot. And they, I honestly, like, I didn't end. know much about it. I went out there and covered their game against MTSU. And I kind of, I'm like, I'm all in. I believe in that. And I, I Charlotte's such a big- Mm-hmm. area you know that they could, there's a lot of I room they're gonna i yeah. think they'd be a very smart team to add yeah. uh, utsa is getting a lot of talk as well yeah. down in san antonio uh so schools san like antonio. that are gonna get the talk uh, i think you still want to f- make sure that you're adding schools that have some basketball presence too if you're the american you know you don't want to become a one bid league in basketball you're already only about a two two and a half bid league as is you don't want to fall down that ladder any further mm-hmm. you know so it's so it, hard it's, to think about basketball right now. I can't even, I know it's starting this month, but I, I don't watch the NBA. So I'm be okay. Ignoring it. I watch some, college, no, but college but, basketball, it starts it this month? October. I'm pretty oh sure October is like when, yeah. Isn't I, that I, wild? T- I tend not to watch until like conference <laughs> play just because of like, I'm fo- so focused on football until like January, yeah. like early January. And that's around when conference play starts. So I just, I don't notice that college basketball starts. After yeah, today. well, it is. I so. thought it was like, I thought it started in late November, to be honest. <laughs> nope, it's now. But yeah, Not right uh, now, but this month is the beautiful convergence. October is like basketball, football, hockey, and baseball, because you get post-games, so, post-season. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, my, my, as we record this, I'm prepping for my beloved Red Sox uh, to play in the wild oh, card against Sox New York. Red Sox fan, okay. Yep. JD Martinez that. is out. Yeah, I'm from Massachusetts originally. I mean, I, I should have figured that, but I, I just yeah. we never talk about baseball, so that's kind of. No, I talked about briefly back when Joe was the other host of the show. Okay, I mentioned it back then, but uh, well, we I can talk more baseball. Well, once football season starts, I get distracted. But the playoffs. Are, I was also like trying not to think about the Red Sox because they were trying to blow it for the yeah. past. Like I think, half. yeah. Who did they play? Just. This last game, um, Washington, they're in Washington against the nationals. Yeah. I, I was only keeping track because of my, my partner, Kim, that I work with, she, uh, shoots for the Yankees. So she's like in the middle of trying to figure out what their wild card is going to be. They're at Finley and tonight. Yep. Yes, exactly. So, um, we were keeping an eye on some of the games just to see how it would shake out, but, mm-hmm. um, that's funny. Well, good luck. No JD tonight. And is, Chris that's, Hill that's, is unavailable yeah. because he pitched that. Uh, last game so, so who's I'm anxious gonna... so I'm anxious <laughs> <laughs> okay well uh, fingers we crossed yeah here we are <laughs> uh, <laughs> see that's uh, why people will love this podcast you get it all not only get, do you get the AAC that you need you're gonna you get, get stuff you didn't know you need yeah random yeah. pack 12 rants you know Joey Chestnut news uh baseball posting what's going on out there I don't want to talk about it I'm so upset like what, what you know I was born I thought they were gonna be good well, yeah, I, that's, I'll tell you right now, that's a program issue. So mm-hmm. I've talked to a couple of people there and that's more, not everyone has bought in on Jimmy Lake. He came into a situation where it's, it's guys that he hasn't worked with. They're still from the old regime. Like there's just a lot but of discourse and the they will regime, figure which is what doesn't make sense to me. What do you mean? Jimmy Lake was the DC under Peterson. So like, that's what doesn't make sense to me. About, it's a like, different, the it's a different dynamic. Like when you step into a leading role, like you haven't been, you know, that guy, people have to believe in you to follow your lead and really buy in. And I just, mm-hmm. it's not there. Yet. They're not, he's not the guy that everybody is saying that he is apparently not that he's bad, but I think it's going to take longer than we thought. It's not going to be as seamless. I also so. think they need to find a new OC because what's, going on right there is not working right now yeah that's also and very possible also there's so many like i don't know if there's another school has blown more really good quarterbacks very under the radar than washington has in the past like five to ten years i have always said that, great, that everyone thinks their quarterbacks, quarterbacks are good 
they've had some great quarterbacks come through and transfer out and end up other places. Like, isn't McNamara the Michigan quarterback, the Washington transfer? I have no idea. I thought he was a backup at Washington. I could have sworn, or maybe it's Western Michigan. Score. I heard something about someone in Michigan who used to be there. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like this happens a lot to them. I feel like where they always have like good quarterbacks come through. Like they've got a uh, Heward, the five-star who's on the roster mm-hmm. now. And like, I don't know. This is so far beyond the American right now. It's That's fine. I mean, neat. we're all, you know, you got You <laughs> should think- be a well-rounded football fan. So we're going to give I you do. stuff from all over. I do agree with that. <laughs> But yep. you know, we'll 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 save some of it for next time. I'll save my Stanford David Shaw rant for the preview so podcast. I know you're from California. Who do you like? Who did you grow up rooting for? That Stanford is who I grew up. Like my dad went there, so he played okay. baseball there, and I grew up going to games, and that was like how I got into sports with Stanford okay. athletics. So I almost accused you of being a Cal fan, but then I no, remembered you know what, what you said though? about Berkeley, and I was like, wait a minute, she doesn't like Berkeley. I I grew up hating Cal because of the rivalry, but as I became a sports writer and started covering Cal has always been really great to me and to media. Mm-hmm. Like even when Sonny Dykes was there, yes, he was very secretive about, you know, practices and stuff, but he was great with media. Their staff yeah. at that time was great. And Justin Wilcox, I think is great. So I like Cal. I want them to do well, but they have struggled to find the last bit of like the formula mm-hmm. to get them into the top of the Pac-12. They're just not quite there. Well, when Dykes was there, they were only good at offense. Now that Wilcox is there, they're only good at defense. And yeah, they got to find a way. I mean, like every team to do both, because it's the same thing with Dykes at SMU right now. Yeah. They're really good at offense, but they got to find a way to. But yeah, but like when offense. they played Cincinnati last year, Cincinnati's defense stopped their offense and their defense still couldn't stop Cincinnati's right. offense. And that it's becomes an issue. You know, that's why Cincinnati's. You got to surround right yourself with. You got to surround yourself with good coaches. Like that's the mark of a truly great head coach, you know? So Mm -hmm. you cannot do it all. You physically can't. So you need to find people that you trust. And then that when it comes down to a game scenario that you can let them take the reins, like you cannot Mm -hmm. micromanage everything, Mm -hmm. David Shaw. So, (laughs) so the rant's coming. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. This is already, it's too much information, but we appreciate you listening as always. Not that you have a choice, but. Yep. We still appreciate it. Exactly. We should wrap this up now that we have been through the, uh, around yes, the wagons. Around the ringer. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96. You can find me at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And we are off for now. We'll see you next time.